two, one, two. Are we on? Yeah, we're, we're on. on. Okay, let me just get you back up. Wait. <clears throat> good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. You are listening to the Redraft Podcast with me, Romina Ramos, and my lovely, wonderful friend, Will Stevenson. Hello, Will. How are you? Hello, hello. Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. How are we surviving this heat wave? Oh, my God. My flat is like an oven. If we open the windows, it's hot. If we close the windows, it's hot. It's it's just hot. It's incredibly hot. It's just hot. Newsflash, Britain is warm at the moment. Yeah. It's a lot, isn't it? It is. You know what? People always say to me, oh, how can you, uh, you know, you're for Portuguese, how can you not stand this? But it's a different kind of heat. Like, I've been having this conversation with my Portuguese customers this, this week, and it's a different kind of heat. Yeah. When I go to Portugal, I'm usually hanging by the beach, you know, there's a breeze, there's a sea breeze, there's a little... Here, it's, like, close and, like, claustrophobic Concrete, and, yeah. and, like muffled like that's not the right word no um, it is i like muffled i think it works and yeah, all the, all the buildings mean? and the materials are different it's like that whole yeah. have you seen the twitter thing of like the americans being like what it's only 30 degrees it's only whatever fahrenheit it's not that hot and it's like <laughs> your <laughs> yeah. fucking buildings are made to survive that and ours are not yeah absolutely <laughs> not i've been doing my grandma's old trip this week which is to wet a, a, a bath towel wet it with cold water and just drape it over yourself and it just keeps you cool do you know what that's what we not with a bath towel with a little bandana um that's what we do with missy we might have to start doing it on a human level though as well this is my dog if uh, anyone unaware of that come across (laughs) Australia what we do with our captured person no yeah um it does sound like a good idea actually yes keep that core temperature down Absolutely. So, have you been up to anything exciting to tell us this week? Have I been up to much? Um, we had the live podcast, which should be out uh, soon, if not if not already. Uh, we're recording this a little bit in advance, but that was really fun. Um, Nolan, me, Nolan, you. I loved being on the live panel for that. That was really good fun. Uh, we watched Memento and uh, had a great time over at the uh, Coldplex Cinema. Uh, I went to go see War Pony, um, which is an uh, independent film, hotly tipped, coming out of um, Native America. Although the director, while there are lots of the talent uh, behind the camera and in front of it is Native American, the director is actually Riley Keough, who is weirdly Elvis Presley's granddaughter. Um, so I was a little bit worried about it being a bit you know, exploitative and sort of uh glamorizing that culture but no it was actually really 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 strong piece filmmaking i enjoyed it very much otherwise not too much have you been up to much i have just been packing my flat up because probably everybody knows now i am moving again (laughs) this weekend so yeah i've just we've just been in packing 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 uh we're good to go we're gonna do this over this weekend um and it was it's exciting i'm excited to get into a house have my own garden um, I don't like flats very much, so yeah, no, it's I'm all for you. good. Especially come this summer heat, which doesn't seem to be leaving us. You can sit outside, get a little tan. Yes, I can host some poetry barbecues, uh, and it'll be it'll be lovely. Now that's a promise. I'm excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> right, lovely, sweet. right? So, um, I think I'll just go ahead and introduce mm, uh, our this week's guest. Yeah, this week we've got Valerie O'Riordan joining us. Valerie is my ex-fiction uh, lecturer at the University of Bolton, where she teaches creative writing and English. 
Um, a fiction has appeared in a new, numerous national international publications, including Tin House, Lit Mag, The Lonely Crowd, and The Manchester Review. And she's currently working on a novel, thanks to generous support of Arts Council England. And in 2019, she was awarded the O. Emery Prize for a short story, Bad Girl. I am so excited for this chat. Um, Valerie, as uh, she's mentioned in my acknowledgement, in the acknowledgements page in my book, mm. uh, really inspired me in my time in the degree. Um, I I found uh, all the feedback that she gave me really made me a better and stronger writer and made me understand the craft a lot more. Um, and I'm super inspired by how fast she reads books. So <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a great chat. Amazing. Catch you on the other side. Just a quick one from me before the pod starts proper. Um, we had some microphone issues on this episode uh, on mine and Ramina's side. Um, Val's uh, words are crystal clear and uh, she has some really amazing insights. So do stick about uh, whenever we're not talking. <laughs> it sounds absolutely beautiful. Uh, whenever we are, it's slightly off, but it, there's not too much of that. Um, Val gives some really insightful and interesting answers and it's well worth sticking about for. So... Enjoy the pod, and uh, we'll catch you at the end. Um, we've got an exciting announcement, if you've not seen, um, on our Doors Open CIC Instagram yet. Um, it all will be revealed at the end of the pod. So enjoy, and uh, have a great week from me. Get back to the pod. So we are sat in the Three Guys Cafe with my old, well, not old, ex-fiction uh, lecturer, Valerie Oriarden. Uh, thanks for joining as well. So welcome to the Redraft podcast. Uh, one thing we do here on the podcast is go back right back to the beginning and find out a little bit about where you grew up, what that was like for you, what high school was like for you, that kind of thing. No worries. Uh, so I grew up in Dublin, more or less. We lived in a, the further south in Ireland until I was about four, and then we moved to Dublin. And um, <laughs> life proceeded as normal from there. <coughs> um, I always read a lot. Um, I I don't remember really being read to as a kid, but I went to the library a lot. I remember going to the library a lot from the age of about six or seven. So my mum would go and do the supermarket shopping and the library was in the same little complex and she'd dump me in the library for an hour while she went to the big shop. And uh, and I'd get a load of books out and I was quite... Um, I, was, I was good at reading and writing very early in school and um, I remember when I was in second class, which would be, uh, I guess, the equivalent of year three here, my teacher my teacher liked that I was good at reading so just let me read books and not do some of the other <laughs> subjects and then a girl called Gillian discovered that I wasn't doing my maths I was reading an Enid Blyton book under the table and complained and Mrs McNamara had to stop her um, kind of renegade <laughs> teaching <laughs> pattern and I had to do maths again um, and I guess in primary school I you know you write stories or at least at the time you wrote stories for school so you know throughout primary school I was always writing stories we had a teacher called Mr Doyle who was quite creepy 
Though I don't know if anything ever emerged out of his touch, if I missed it. He seemed nice. He'd, uh, he used to be a monk, um, and he had he still had the monk's haircut, the tonsure, and, uh, and he used to wear rain gear all the time. Um, but he had this massive book. It was like, it looked like... Um, uh, a grimoire or something you know like a, a massive fat magical book um and if kids had written a good story for class he'd get them to copy it into like the book i don't know what the book was for where the book went where the book lived when you weren't copying things into it or what the point of that whole thing was at all but i remember once writing a story in mr doyle's big book and feeling very pleased with myself and um so I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's like yeah, relic definitely. So so that was primary school, and then as I moved into secondary school, um, we still had at the time, and this was the nineteen nineties, um, a fair amount of space in the English curriculum to do creative writing. Um, the this kind of disappeared a little bit as you went right through to the leaving search which is like the a levels um and i remember by the last uh, year or so of school which you know be equivalent to last year sixth form um not really doing any creative writing at that point because it was very essay oriented but most of the way through school there was that space to 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 write stories i think if you were inclined towards poetry that might not have been uh, quite as it might not have had as much of a place within the curriculum um but i always enjoyed i always enjoyed writing in that respect and and i was always a big reader and then as i kind of went on from there i was more about the reading than the writing so um i studied english literature and philosophy in university um which was a kind of major minor degree patterns as a four-year course do them both for three years and then specialize in the fourth year i did that at trinity college yeah so i did philosophy for three years and english for four and uh creative writing wasn't a part of that um there we had one we had one lecturer in i think my third year no it wasn't actually it was in my second year brendan Kennelly, who is uh, a poet that you, you may or may not have heard of he's quite well known um and he taught on the MA in creative writing that they did run it was an M lit actually um and he ran that but he must have been contractually obliged to do a certain amount of undergraduate teaching um he didn't do any lectures as far as I was aware but he led seminars and the way the courses were structured was you had you had your weekly lecture and then you would have a kind of corresponding small group seminar to discuss the texts and so on and I think the course that he was taking my seminar group for was about um it was something to do with Irish literature. I think it was focused more on um, theatre than it was um, poetry or fiction. Um, something to do with the nationalist movement and theatre um, in the kind of 20th century. Um, and he just sort of ignored that and did creative writing exercises um, over the course of the semester. So um, we'd come in expecting to talk about the work of J.M. Singh or something, and instead he would send everybody off to the pub for <laughs> and say, oh, you know, transcribe a conversation that you've overheard. Um, or he'd get us to rewrite a story from James Joyce's Dubliners from a different perspective or something, um, which was 
in, in you know actually a load of fun but um i was a very anxious nerdy student and um i was terrified that this was going to impact upon the grade i would get in the exam which had nothing to do with any of that stuff <laughs> so i don't think i particularly enjoyed the experience it was it was kind of, it was kind of fun but kind of stressful um but that was the only creative writing component in the degree um but i i just read a lot which is why i did it and um and i think then at that point um I just hadn't really written anything since, say, fifth year in school. Um, there was a literary society in university, but I went along to one meeting and it was full of very confident, very posh boys. And I didn't know what to do and didn't come back. Does uh, normal people, the TV adaptation, like depict that, depict that <laughs> scene like <laughs> true to life? Because um, I feel like... <laughs> It was a lot, lot messier and less photogenic. Right. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. I remember there was a lot of people in the room and uh, and this one guy reading, uh, you know, a shit poem that went on forever. <laughs> and, and I thought, I can't read anything in front of these people. And it was definitely not confidence building at all. Um, I'm sure some people got plenty out of it, but um, I didn't go back. And I think my friend might have gone back a couple of times and that was about it. Um the yeah so then um when i graduated i when i was approaching graduation i didn't really know what i wanted to do um and i had i think in in my head you know the world of work um mainly involved people working in offices and i wasn't entirely sure what people did in those offices <laughs> but i was quite sure i didn't want to do that in those places whatever it was and wherever they were so I enrolled in a master's in film production because I really liked going to the cinema. Um, and I had thought about doing the creative writing master's, but I'd found Brenda Canelli's classes a, a bit weird uh, in those undergraduate seminars and I didn't fancy a whole year of it. Um, and it, um, I'd never met anybody who'd done the course and it, it didn't seem to have much public presence. So it just seemed a little bit kind of... Um, I don't know, obscure. So I did the film production course instead that had a screenwriting element uh, which appealed to me and I was also interested in uh, getting into film and video editing um, and it was a very practical hands-on course but it had a film theory component as well so it kind of, you know, in a way it was a nice follow-on from an English degree because you had that analytical, critical writing but then that practical element and that was brilliant. That was in the Dublin Institute of Technology on Anger Street which I think isn't there anymore. The DYT. DIT, yeah. Um, I feel like I knew someone that went there when I when I spent some time in Ireland, but it maybe was, not. It's a, it's a, it's quite a big university. Like it's got different branches. So we were the Angel Street branch, but there was Mountjoy Square where people did art and and various other. Yeah, ones. yeah, yeah. Um, and in Angel Street, they also did things like, I don't know, like you could do an MA in PR, that kind of thing. Oh, so cool. it was it was it was pretty diverse. Yeah. <laughs> so I did this I did this film production one, which was run by a small team of industry professionals quite similar in a way to the course that I teach on in Bolton in English um it was people who were working um had worked and were still working freelance in the film industry and then it was um led by like a film academic guy who was this like, amazing intellectual um called Malachi O'Higgins and Malachi if you're ever listening to this you know brilliant course um and that was fantastic. Um, we got to do quite a bit of screenwriting. Um, 
and make a series of films ranging like from one minute to five minutes to 20 minutes or whatever. Again, probably not dissimilar to what, what we do with Ed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ed. yeah, definitely. Um, so that was fantastic. It went on for years, very intense, like MAs usually are. Um, and I, I kept up the script writing for a little bit afterwards. I had a script shortlisted for a prize. Um, but at that point, by the time I graduated, I'd been five years in university because my first degree was four years long and, uh, you know, felt a pressing need to get paid employment. Um, and then, of course, couldn't find paid employment because um, I was qualified in English philosophy and film <laughs> production. Uh, <laughs> Um, Dublin was full of jobs at the time. This was 2003. You know, there was the cities in a boom. Um, but they weren't filled with jobs in, you know, kind of film production because, you know, where is ever filled with jobs in film production? So myself, my classmates were just applying for this, that, the other. Um, I was, I signed on um, for a while. And then I had a, I remember having a screaming argument with a woman in the Dole office because... <laughs> um, <laughs> She, they, well, she, not she personally, the computer said no. The, com- <laughs> the, computer, the computer was calculating my household income and my household income was I had no income. And my boyfriend at the time had a grant to do his master's and they counted his grant as our household income, which I thought was Ridiculous. extraordinary unfair. The grant was also worth something like, um, you know, like 10,000 euros for the year. Yeah which wasn't enough to sustain him, never mind us, but was over the threshold for the for the dole or whatever. Or there was maybe it was maybe okay for the dole, but it was over the threshold for the, the, the like rent allowance bit of it. Yeah. So that was that. So I was, I was quite cross about that. And um, so just applying for jobs in film companies all over the place. So I was doing like little bits here and there. <laughs> Myself and my friends ended up doing like work as extras and there's lots of films shot around Dublin um Mm. so we ended up in a I was in an ad for um I think it was for phones for you you? and um uh if we kind of like skip forward a little bit I was in London with my friend Alan and who was also in that ad and we went to a a phone shop to buy Alan a phone or a sim card or something and in the shop there was like a tv showing the ad for the company and there we were <laughs> we just <laughs> ran out of the shop <laughs> like i can't i can't be in this room and see this this is awful and there was like half our class were in it because we had no yeah. other work at the time um anyway ultimately i i got a job for a little while working as a runner in a post-production company and um well i didn't particularly enjoy that job i did enjoy being in the post-production environment so I applied for and got a job a trainee job with the BBC so I ended up moving to Birmingham um to work as a trainee um post-production assistant that's what caused the year exactly exactly it was for a job so um so basically spent about a year on the dole doing random jobs and um frantically applying for everything and um and then I moved to Birmingham it was a two-year contract um which paid a you know riches it was twelve thousand pounds a year and um and birmingham was so much cheaper than dublin though i it was it just seemed like actually quite a lot of money at the time because it was a culture shock um well the 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 price of rent was like a a very pleasant culture (laughs) shock um understanding black country accents was a culture shock um 
pasties were a bit of a culture shock. <laughs> yeah, you don't get pasties. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, oh, bad culture shock. It's it's like, I no. miss the deli so much. Yeah, you miss going, being able to go to the deli and get, you don't have them here. Like every Londis in Ireland, well, not, I don't know if it's every, but from where I was, like, Every Londis has a fresh deli, and you can yeah. go in and get a baguette. I'm sure they call it a roll. You get like a rotisserie like a, like chicken a, Like or a Brooklyn style, because like, yeah, I think of that as a really like, American thing. Yeah, yeah, but you can get like a breakfast roll, they call it. It's like oh, yeah. ash brown bacon, sausage, yeah. white pudding, which you don't have here, which I love. Uh, and all into one sandwich. It's just like, I miss that so much. Yeah. Yeah. You don't really get breakfast rolls here, do you? And people don't say roll. No, yeah. See all these things. Yeah. Another culture shock. Um, people didn't know what I meant when I said such and such a thing is in the hot press. Airing cupboard. I don't know airing, what you mean airing, now. Airing cupboard. <laughs> airing airing cupboard. That's press. a bit of a lost art in general, isn't it? Yeah. The airing yeah. cupboard. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a press is a cupboard and they're hot because the immersion heat is in it. So sure, it's a hot yeah, press, yeah, yeah, yeah. isn't it? It sounds good. Yeah. It does sound good, <laughs> so people would be very confused. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I ended up moving to Birmingham. I got this got this two year contract with the BBC, and my friend Alan from uni got the same job. We were really lucky. There was only eight positions, like across London, Birmingham, and Bristol. I got one of the Birmingham ones. He got one of the London ones. So I was back and forth to London, um, visiting him a lot, and then. Um, I got kept on at the end of the two years as a post-production assist, as an assistant editor, and then um, as an editor. Um, so I was, and I, so I was there for another two years, basically after the end of the training contract. And at that point, uh, which makes me seem very fickle, like at that point, I was thinking, do I really want to do this? Mm. And the actual job, the editing, that like cutting together the programs, I did enjoy that. Like I, I still enjoy messing around on on that kind of software, but I didn't enjoy working in television. Um, it probably doesn't say much in my favor, but it was too teamwork oriented. <laughs> um, you know, you've a certain amount of you've cert- you've a lot of creative input as an editor, but you have no creative control. And um, there's a lot of a lot of people involved in making a TV program. So you sit and you work very collaboratively with a director, and then you'll get a series producer, and then you'll get an executive producer, and maybe there's two of them, and they a lot they have a lot of things to say, and um, and it was it, it felt kind of disempowering. But it was also a real lads club. It very much was built around kind of making connections down the pub and stuff, and um i didn't really feel like i wanted to kind of scrimp and scrounge for interesting opportunities um by virtue of you know getting wasted every night and and that that is what working in tv is like what was like and presumably still is like and um it is a weird culture and i at the time um when i was before I was doing more of the editing, when I was still doing more of the assistant editing, a lot of that involves a certain amount of downtime on the job. So um, it, it, it it will have shifted a little bit now, but at the time, you, well, it will have shifted a lot now, but at the time we recorded everything on tapes and then you'd have to get the tape, you'd have to digitize the stuff on the tape and put it on the computer system. Nowadays, obviously, it's all shot digitally. You'll still be transferring things over, so there'll still be kind of times where you're waiting for that to happen. But when we were digitizing stuff, it was like a real-time transfer. So if I had an hour long tape, you it would take me run about. The reel through. Yeah. yeah, well, it wasn't quite that much, but it was. It was. We were a little bit further down the line than that, but it was like um, it would take maybe twenty five minutes to log the footage, and mm. then another hour and a quarter for it to actually feed through into mm. the system. So it's a bit more than real time. So you'd have to sit there. So I got loads of reading done, but then I just started getting quite a bit of writing done as well. Um, so this would have been in the kind of late two thousands. Um. 
about um, six years or so after I'd left university and I was I was writing short stories and bits of flash fiction and um, at that point you had online magazines emerging it was still relatively new there was a lot of kind of it was these new markets I suppose were popping up and and the idea of like very short form fictions was taking off probably because you know the internet made it a kind of a, a good space for that um, so that's really how I kind of slid back into writing um, writing very short pieces and sending them off and I could do that in the time slots I had in work so it was it was kind of convenient and then my job got busier so I got less time to do that and then as I was getting less time to do it and busier at work I kind of was beginning to reassess what I actually wanted to spend my time doing and then conveniently um, they decided they were going to let a load of people go um, which was you know not a good move obviously people were very very upset um, and you know rightfully so Um, they moved a lot of work up to Manchester well to Salford um, but they didn't move the people up you know most of the people just got let go so um i but i went for voluntary redundancy so obviously a lot of people want to still keep working in the industry and that was obviously a big problem for them um but i was quite pleased to have the opportunity yeah. to you know Done my time yeah exactly <laughs> so so the way it worked out was um i got my redundancy and i was able to use that to pay to do a master's in creative writing at manchester uni so moved to Manchester. Um, I kept doing freelance work for the BBC for about six months or so, say for the first semester, of the co- like the summer, and then the first semester of the course. Um, and that gave me enough money to then not work with the combo. The combo of what was left from the uh, redundancy money and that gave me enough to like not have to do paid work for the rest of the masters. So that was really nice. I just got to concentrate on doing that. And in that course, I cons- they did do script writing actually, um, which wasn't entirely where you know my heart was anyway. But you know I, I did have some background in it. Yeah. Um, but I just concentrated on fiction. Um, I've never been a poet, so in Manchester you could choose between you could you could do fiction or poetry, but you could just do one strand or the other. So I so I picked fiction, and it was a really good course. Uh, some very nice people doing it. Staff were fantastic, and um, then. After that, um, I was back in the, oh my God, what do I do with my life at that moment? You know, I was like, I appear to be constantly graduating from degrees yeah. into this gaping void of unemployment and confusion. Did you go, did you go to all your, uh, your graduation ceremonies? Uh, yeah, I did yeah. actually. My one in Trinity was a bit, um, it was really posh. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it, well, it, was, it was even posher than you'd expect, actually. The entire graduation ceremony was done in Latin. Wow. So nobody oh, understood wow. really? what was going on. Um, my my dad. Said in Irish, you could understand that. No, Latin. It was in Latin. Um, my parents were just like, "Oh my god." Um, I think my dad asked me if I understood it, and I was like, "No." And yeah. I think he was a bit relieved. Like, um, fa- they could have been saying anything. Surely there's about five anything, people yeah. in that room max. So yeah, like on. probably fewer. Um, Slugging you all off. She never put any fucking work in. Like, <laughs> I hate you his hair. You knew when it was your go to go up because they'd sat us in order of um, degree. So if you got like a first, you're up the front, and two one and two two, and so yeah. on. So like, and you know, I, I was I was like up the front, so I got to go and get my get my degree, and then just sit back down and let the Latin wash over me. Yeah, um, you zone out during them things anyway. So I've had two, like my, my main BA and then my teaching one, obviously. Yeah. And then I always find I just dull as dishwater anyway. 
I was quite lucky that I got, I, uh, mine was during COVID, so it was like yeah. really quick, walk in the room, photo with mask, without mask, there you go. <laughs> from, from a staff perspective, your graduation actually took ages because we had to sit watching everyone take their mask off and put their mask on and some people couldn't take the masks off very well and um, we were, we were in there, time, right, we were it? there for hours. Um, yeah, because you had different. You, we, everyone we, had like a set time, isn't it? You could only have a few people in. Yeah. Right. It was where we went to the new writing yeah, yeah, showcase yeah, yeah, yeah. in that yeah. in that room actually. And you were sat there yeah. as everyone were marching through like a. Parade. Yeah, there was yeah. like a handful of lectures in there, like we Val, were, Ben, Evan. We were socially distanced in our seats. Yeah. Wow. And then we had to go in like one at a time down the stairs quickly, mask on, mask off for the photo, and come back out. Yeah. Just do it on Zoom at that point. There, no. But I did go to one of my mum's, in it, like the proper one. It, it's a bit boring, like, yeah. Well, I went to the... My Trinity one was in Latin, so that was weird. And then my, <laughs> my film one was was great but it was because um our class were just all really good mates i'm still really good mates yeah. with people from that course and that was nearly 20 years that was 20 years ago now so like that was just fun you mm. know and we mm. went to the pub afterwards um and then i see i've got too many degrees at my um <laughs> i don't remember much about my like creative writing it was just a bit of an entity it's like a really fancy building in the university of manchester but um my so what I well to, to back to yeah, back yeah, up yeah, yeah. to back up what I, so I finished the I finished the masters um, and I had a chunk of a novel written um, well a small like fifteen thousand words that was the dissertation and I uh, you know I decided okay well I'll finish this um, but um, we also wanted to have a baby so basically I ended up finishing finished the masters got a job in a bookshop that finished just temporary job then got another job in a bookshop was pregnant. Um, and then was uh, basically like just on benefits again and like had the baby and then had a kind of what do I what do I do now um, you know I've, I've now had the baby I don't what's the next um, and, and kind of like a degree in that way you've graduated like, the baby's alright it's more demanding than a degree you don't have to feed your back degree. to the dreaded world um, of work yeah um, so I avoided the dreaded world of work by signing up to do a PhD um which was a bit of a financial nightmare because there's various funding streams available depending on where you yeah. do a PhD. And um, when I applied to do the PhD in Manchester, I basically had missed the deadline for funding, but the department had, there was a, there'd been a problem with another student who withdrawn. They basically had some money, so they were able to basically allocate that to me, which covered my fees for the first year, but just the fees. So I did have to work um, freelance to like, you know, pay my way. Um, and tax credits helped. And then, um, and then I had to reapply for funding in the second year, um, but they changed the funding structure in the second year, and suddenly there was no funding available for oh creative no. writing PhDs. Yeah. So my supervisor and and you know his colleagues felt very bad about this, so they just found ways to kind of employ me here and there to you know. Ah right, so you worked you so worked at the uni I did, to yeah, like fund it. Yeah, That's in cool. a way, but it's really poorly paid working as a PhD student, like pr teaching work. It's it's really 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 poorly paid. I cannot emphasize enough how poorly paid it is. Yeah, you know, it sounds like you might say I get fifty pounds an hour, but like that covers hours. It's maybe one hour of a class. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Covers oh, so many hours yeah and you can't build up the hours because they still only need you for that one class you know it's not like you can take on extra shifts they don't exist no um so it's and it, you don't get paid over holidays and there's a lot of holidays so it's it's just awful yeah um i did some work with a small film production company in manchester um 
they were they were also doing PhDs, but they'd worked in film and stuff beforehand. So that was really interesting and fun, and that paid quite well. I did copywriting. Um, someone I was in an online writing group with um, is a advertising guy, and he lives in Scandinavia, but he was he, he's got his own advertising company, and he had a contract with Nokia, and he needed to farm out some of the work basically. So I did copywriting indirectly for Nokia, and that, that paid for quite a lot of my. Um, of my PhD and then part of it involved reviewing computer games on Nokia or not computer games really like mobile games on Nokia phones and this was like this was again like 20 like 13 14 you know so the games weren't the games that you know you would get today like yeah like snake and things <laughs> like that <laughs> brick breaker brick breaker <laughs> no 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 a bit over a bit, a bit over yeah 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 <laughs> but, uh, but I got a free phone so that was quite oh good. that's you cool know, that yeah good. yeah um and yeah, so it was like random bits of jobs to keep that going. And um, on the PhD, I was writing short stories. Um, was the PhD just creative writing or did you have like a, a Well, it was focus? interesting. It was creative writing. Um, uh, but the way the creative writing PhDs often work are is that you write a, a creative dissertation, like a big portfolio of however many, like novel length or poetry collection length or whatever. And then typically you'll write a kind of... Um, uh, some sort of a analytic and reflective document alongside. Stop me so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a, a fancier version of what you will have done for us alongside your yeah, graduate yeah, yeah. essays. Now, in Manchester at the time, and I think it's probably shifted, they weren't so bothered about the reflective aspect. And I like essay writing, the freak nerd that I am. <laughs> so my PhD was um, a pretty... There was the short stories and then alongside just a very straight down the line normal English lit style dissertation on um, uh, trauma <laughs> it was very cheerful um, so I wrote on kind of um, the short story cycle which I probably talked to you about yeah. when you were in the undergraduate degree so interlinked stories basically and how certain writers have used that in such a way that it helps them kind of explore traumatic experience so I was looking at Jennifer Egan and David Van but um so it was a very straight up like English lit style dissertation, yeah. but shorter is like 50,000 words and your traditional one would be 80,000. But then I had a 50,000 word story collection alongside. So all in. It so was you didn't, ca you didn't carry on your novel from the masters then? I, well, actually I did when I was pregnant and, um, and I finished it. And like if I, if there had been a print copy, I would, I would burn it. So yeah, it wasn't Talk to us about that. Why, <laughs> was, why would you burn it? It's a strong word. It was, it was a terrible book. Um, it's a learning experience. You know, you try stuff out. Um, and I also think at that point... What didn't work? Sorry, I'm prizing on the oh thing God. that you hate. But I've what was it that you looked at? I think the prose was probably just terrible. I think it was, prob it was probably quite melodramatic. Um, I've not looked at it again. Um, it was, I, I think, partly um, I had done this, I'd done this MA... Um, and then I was kind of had about 18 months before I started the PhD or two years, uh, no, two years. And I was writing that kind of while I was pregnant and stressed about money. And I think my attention was just all over the place. You know, it was just not focused. You know, I, you don't, nothing's wasted. Like, but I wouldn't look at that again. <laughs> uh, and, um, 
and then you know I yeah so I decided to write short stories for the PhD because I'd been reading a lot of them I guess and some of the books that I'd found most interesting in that time period were these collections of interlinked stories like the books I looked at for the PhD A Visit from the Goon Squad and Legend of a Suicide with them like Elizabeth Strout's um, Olive Kittredge um Holly hmm. Smith. Um, I look. I didn't. I didn't directly study her, but like she. she did. You wrote on her though, right? On her. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was a little bit later. Um, and um, the yeah, it was something I wanted to try. Um, and I enjoyed it mostly. There, you know, the money. Money was. I, I think the ongoing theme, the recurrent theme from when I left university to you know the very recent past has been money and how to make a living and the stresses of uh, making a living in the arts and you know the arts kind of including working in TV and film and when I was working for the BBC I was like I have a job but obviously you know it was a very badly paid job Um, and when I had the editor gig towards the end of it I felt like I was really in the money but my salary was £20,000 um, and then it's not bad it, really it went away but that was kind of basically where it went you know like what you did to m- make more money was um, you worked incredibly long overtime hours and I already did quite a bit of overtime so you know there the was like there was nowhere to go nowhere to really go. not really so um, so of course I chose to go back into um, you know fiction and academia where uh, where the big money is yeah where the big money is yeah yeah. Yeah. it's funny isn't it that idea of like the media elite you know editing these programs working really and then like you say peanuts even today you know you're working 12 hour shifts sitting in a dark room in a basement basically and um you you know not seeing people staring at a screen all day i suffered from like chronic back pain at that point yeah of course like combo like the I mean, they had decent enough chairs at work, but you're in them the l- a long time, and yeah. then it's a very stressful job because it's very deadline-oriented. Yeah, of course. Um, and, you know, like, a- apologies to any old colleagues, but, like, the shows just were not particularly interesting. What, what were you working on? I was going to ask A lot of daytime TV property shows. Ah, Holmes Under the Hammer? No, no, that wasn't one of ours. Um, you may remember a program, you may not remember a program called um, To Buy or Not To Buy. My mum went through like this depression, really big depression episode where just because of this. No, 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 no. But I mean, where the only thing on the telly were were these really yeah, 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 yeah. crappy yeah. TV daytime TV programs, like you know yeah. these kind of like homes under the sun. I mean, I'd have like I'd have great fun with some of my kind of. Uh, colleagues like the directors where you know you'd make it as fun for yourself as mm, you possibly could and you know you'd, you'd kind of cut together funny little sequences and so on but then the executive you know producers would make you take them out <laughs> so it was, yeah, you know yeah. and you'd try, try and get away with songs it songs yeah. you liked on you know and stuff like that um before how you had loads of like creative input but no creative like control, control. yeah that must be like a little frustrating because well, it, you can put loads of ideas forward but they're not going to go anywhere well yeah yeah exactly and i'd imagine it's uh, just as annoying to some of the directors um it's not what anyone really wants to direct is it it's not your no it's not anyone's <laughs> aim no i had a yeah. chat about with kathy crab once about this um about writing scripts which is similar to this where you write a script for Corey, imagine and then you take it in and then you have a team of people that come in and pick it apart and by yeah. the end of it it's not the script yeah. that you wrote yeah. it's a script that a team of like 10 people wrote yeah. and it's it's a different way of working and i think if you if you get your head around that and you get into that space that's fine you know and you know you're you're going to be working on a lot of things at the same time probably if you're doing that kind of thing um 
but it doesn't really suit me and uh, you know it, it's why I like fiction and if you know if I were a poet that was what I would get out of the poetry as well yeah, I was say, um, I like poetry because yeah. you know, no one's telling me what kind of no yeah. they aren't and, and it's about creative control isn't it it's why I got out of um, non-fiction and, and journalism as well because I, I did journalism for a couple of years that's what my degree's in uh, and I was just like unless you're working really really hard and like writing the stories but there's no room for that in modern day journalism nobody wants a properly researched story that you spend with clickbait and stuff, isn't yeah, it? Like, I was writing so tr- so much trash. Yeah, they want lo- local man angry about bean yeah, collection. Worst, <laughs> like <laughs> local celebrity you've never heard of is on Love Island. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like really. It's just to get to people to click on the ad, though, isn't it? Yeah, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's dreadful. It's, it was. Yeah, it really was. It's why I got out of it. Like it probably was. And I think ultimately, though, like I look back now and I think the BBC jobs very exploitative, you know, very, very long hours, very sexist environment. Um, some of my colleagues were lovely, but the environment wasn't good. Um, and the money wasn't good, you know. So, like, it, you know, at the age of 24, I felt like, woohoo. But by the time I was even later in my 20s, I was like, this is not worth this. Um, it's not worth my mental and physical health. Um, and I would have rather be scrimping, you know, um, trying to do something I wanted to do than, um, you know, being in that situation. Of course, then time goes by, and I also think, I don't want to scrimp anymore. <laughs> so, um, this is it, isn't I mean, it? It's the balance between those is, two things. It is, And I mean, partly that's why I went to the PhD as well. I was like, well, then I can, I can get into, you know, I can try and get work in an academic environment, which is increasingly untenable, the way the industry is going. I mean, I'm very lucky. I have a, I have a full-time job now, but um, they're very few and far between, and they are producing, the system is producing more PhD graduates than there are jobs and they're very they're employed in a very exploitative basis in most institutions do you think that part of the reason of wanting to do the i always call it a doctorate because it sounds fancy fancy. (laughs) but the reason for wanting to do that was looking at the end goal or was it the process it was both um i i i wanted to stabilize some form of a kind of career-oriented sort of qualification for myself but also um i like essay writing i like academic research so i wanted to do the the fiction but i did also want to get back into that kind of critical analysis so i did enjoy that and you know a lot of people said to me by the time you finish your phd you will hate the books that you had to study for it and i really really don't like i've read the books again like several times since you know so like that's really nice it's a relief um, not that I would do the process again. <laughs> so, uh, it was stressful. Was teaching only like the, only became like a, a an option then at the PhD level? Would yeah, you say? Yeah, yeah. Um, you can't really. Well, I didn't. I didn't ever have any interest in teaching in a school. Um, te- you know, working, going, doing a you know occasional workshops in a school is one thing, but I did not want to be a teacher in in the kind of secondary or FE system at all. Um, I wanted the kind of teaching of adults who were volunteers Want to be there, to be there yes. exactly, experience yeah, yeah, yeah. of working in higher education and then getting to do uh, research on, you know, what I want to do. And, and you know, that like being hired, say, as a, as a writer in the department, you know, that, that is part of your job, even if you never get time to actually do it um, in a way that it is not your job or respected in any way. If I was, for instance, working in a, in a school where, you know, I might be passionate about writing, but it's got nothing to do with my job so I couldn't kind of say to my boss in a meeting um, I'm doing some writing at the moment they'd be like why are you telling me this (laughs) Um, not you know whereas whereas in my job at the moment we have very little time really to to kind of like build in writing but it is nonetheless 
you know, and it's expected and encouraged, you know, so, um, so I wanted to, yeah, it was a combination of the process and the end point. Um, and then, um, but as I said, jobs are few and far between. And I, so I've basically mirrored my experience on the AMA. I finished the PhD and had another baby. Um, and then after, you know, had, after we had him, I was like, oh, God, I need a job. So I'm just in this, like, repeated cycle of, like, you know, do a qualification, stare into the abyss. So I did my PhD in Manchester. I taught, on Man- I taught um, seminars while I was there um, initially on the English Lit side and then um, teaching second-year creative writing students. They don't have – they didn't at the time – I think they still don't have a degree in creative writing in Manchester, but they had it as an option in the second and third year. Um, and actually, it was just an option when I started teaching there, and then they brought in a degree that was like English with creative writing. So it's like a minor type of situation. Um, and I was always teaching the students who were doing it as an option, like English lit students who were doing it as an option rather than the kind of more specialist students. Yeah. Uh, they tended to have the more senior members of staff teaching them. So uh, so I ran workshops basically for second year writing students um, for a couple of years. And then after like after I had the baby and, you know, had like a nominal amount of maternity leave, um, I went back and did some more of that. But as I said, it's it's intermittent and poorly paid. Um, so, you know, you're constantly looking around for other jobs. And then I was extremely lucky that um, the job in Bolton came up two years after I finished the the PhD. So, 2018? Um, 2018. 2018. Yeah, same, my first year. First year. My first year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> And it was initially just for a semester, and then it was just for a year, and then it was my permanent. Um, can I ask you, can so I throw you a question? Because I was thinking, I've been thinking about it for ages. What What was well, two part question? What was your first love of like fiction? So novels, film, TV. Um. Oh, like novels. Um, yeah. And then I suppose as I was more kind of like, um, you know, kind of late late teens into 20s like film but like oh it was just fiction really from the get-go and when I was a kid you know it was all that kind of like you know standard kid stuff Eden Blyton and all that or old Al and the classics like you know Black Beauty and stuff like that or Swiss Family Robinson that uh, probably no one reads these days but we're still very much we've got a dusty penguin paperbacks on the shelf and they're like no I'd rather read with David Williams Uh, (laughs) like no thank you and then yeah yeah, like stuff like the Demon Headmaster and stuff Um, and then in secondary school we had a very kind of I mean secondary school curricular tend tend to be fairly staid I suppose but like um, I liked Shakespeare, mm-hmm. so I suppose there's an element of like I, I didn't, I didn't, I wouldn't have ever gone away and read a play in my spare time. Mm. Um, um, and like as a family, we didn't tend to go to the theatre. So that, that well, that's what I was going to say. You're not really yeah. meant to. I, I think it still yeah. thinks it's odd the amount of time we dedicate to reading to through reading. scripts, yeah, passing yeah. scripts without actually going right. I know, it's a funny stuff. one, isn't it? It's like no. my my daughter studied uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. Sure. Yeah. 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 yeah in well, earlier this year in year seven and um so i've booked tickets for us to go and see a production of it in the summer the it's a really cool um troupe called the the handlebards the outdoors one it's outdoors one yeah, yeah it's in lancaster Ca- well yeah. the touring but this one's going to be in lancaster castle like outside yeah. and um yeah they go around on bikes so they're the handlebards you know so they're oh, Shakespeare and they have <laughs> handlebars on their bikes. <laughs> they're really cool and i've seen them before um i've seen them do romeo and juliet a couple of times um but yeah like that's how it comes alive but i didn't when i went to see plays as a kid it was it was with school like school would bring us to see something at you know like attached to the curriculum so we saw the merchant of venice um yeah. i think we saw the medea or something like that um 
and but then yeah um when I was kind of more like 15 16 or whatever I was like I remember I really liked like To Kill a Mockingbird we did that in school and I just read that over and over and over um and then somehow I ended up reading Catch 22 by Joseph Heller when I was about 16 and I made all my friends read it um it's a very surreal World War II novel and um, it feels doesn't it like the most exciting thing oh in the world great like but it was uh, yeah so i remember yeah that and like john fowles the collector and stuff felt all very transgressive you know yeah, when you're in school yeah. you're like 16 17 you're like wow um and you know like you see reading stuff like this and then randomly like you know point horror books and stuff because that's what everybody's reading um interview the vampires really had like a real Anne rice phase i saw jurassic park and then i yeah. was obsessed with michael crichton for a while and i was i was i actually was when i was applying to university i was on the fence between studying genetics and english wow because <laughs> jurassic park was just so cool <laughs> my uh, my seven-year-old is a now really into Jurassic Park, so I there's guess a, there's a strange alternative universe right out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you get Did you get so many like Irish literature? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, you do. So the curriculum in schools in Ireland is split between Irish and non-Irish. Um, so like there's a certain amount of Irish poets that everyone studies. So you do like Yeats and Heaney and yeah, exactly. And um, I can't remember who else we, we did, but yeah. So there's a selection of Irish poets, and then you do you do Shakespeare and an Irish play. So like it's so oh, well. like we did um. The Field by John B. Keane um, for uh, the junior search, which like GCSEs. Mm. I can't for the life of me think what we did for the leaving search, but yeah, there was always a, there was always an Irish text, and then an on. I, that said, that didn't seem to apply to fiction. I don't think we did like an Irish novel. Um, but I remember we did Silas Marner, so we did George Eliot, but I don't I don't remember doing an Irish novel. Um, but um, I remember reading them, but I don't think they were. I don't think they were on the curriculum. I, I think there's a really healthy diet of film coming out of Ireland yeah. over the past ten, fifteen years. Yeah. Things like like Young Offenders, obviously everything Young you know, Banshees of Inisherin and everything that he does. But uh, Extraordinary, uh, Broken Law, The Cowboy Gangsters. There's like a huge diet of yeah. proper Irish yeah. cinema. But there's been a real resurgence in Irish fiction as well, though. Like. Um, the, you know, since when I when I was in university, like it did feel like there wasn't there was people like John McGahern and stuff who'd been around for a long time and were brilliant. Um, you know, Anne Enright was going by then; she's still going strong. But like, um, there didn't seem to be a lot of on my radar anyway. Certainly, a lot of like new up and coming people. But there is just a wealth of people that would be kind of my generation and younger. Obviously, everyone talks about Sally Rooney, um, but you know th there's a lot more than Sally Rooney, and she kind of made it like popular, she but, made it popular, but like, and, and she's very accessible as a writer. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I, I still love Normal People, the book. I I didn't get into like Beautiful World as much. I I, I didn't like it. I have to say. Yeah. Um, well, I've seen moment, no, I I've seen really mixed reviews from that as well. Oh, like, yeah. people, a lot of people that I, the, the 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 negative ones that I saw is like people saying well, she's just writing about herself like the main character is then, a writer know, and yeah. it. But, but like Rachel Cusk does that and it's fine so yeah. I people people have a chip on their shoulder about Sally Rooney I, I kind of um, I thought Normal People was the best of the three she's done yeah. so far but there's brilliant writers like, and funny like there's um, there's a writer called Nisha Dolan her stuff's hilarious um, Lisa McInerney writes these amazing um, kind of uh, literary sort of I don't know, like they're not crime, but they've got a lot of gangsters and drugs and stuff in Neve, them. Neve, um, a ghost in a throat. She's oh, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, she's yeah. amazing. Yeah, she's, Dara, yeah. not Neve, Dara, yeah. yeah. 
yeah, yeah. Um, have you read that you need to borrow mine it's great yeah um oh there's there's just loads there's this like my mind will go blank now of course but like there's just brilliant fiction coming out of ireland and um and non-fiction as well like um you know mark o'connell um it, it's, it's just fantastic and presses like tramp press um are just fantastic and they they produce they, they publish like loads of contemporary fiction but they also do this recovered voices series so they kind of uh find novels from like you know however long ago like 100 years ago whatever they were acclaimed at the time but are out of print by irish writers um they've produced an anthology of like um, kind of historical Irish uh, fantasy writing and um, stuff like that. It's you know th- there's just like loads of stuff going on that's brilliant. Um, that didn't seem to be there when I was when that I. That just reminded me that I spent uh, when I read Ghost in the Throat. I spent so much time like researching the the I can't can't remember her name now for the life of me. But the 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 lady that she writes about that's yeah. like the, the, does the epic Irish poem. It's really interesting stuff, yeah. like And I mean, crazy. the poetry scene in Ireland's always been, like... Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so there's loads, there's, there's just, yeah, there's loads going on there. It's very vibrant. Um, I mean, I'm between two poles, like yourself, Romina, I think, you know. I've lived in Ireland almost as... I've lived in England, I should say, almost as long as I've lived in Ireland. I've spent most of my adult life here. Um, I've done all my writing here. Um you know, I am Irish, but I don't write about Ireland because unless I'm going to write about secondary school, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. what am I going to write about? Could write, could write about growing up there, but I suppose like, yeah. It's I, kind of, yeah, do you know what I mean? You, yeah, it's a bit of, limiting. My, my understanding of the mechanics of life are very much rooted in this place. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I, I'm in ways I'm neither an English writer nor an Irish writer, which is, yeah. which is an odd one. It's, it is an odd, I feel the same, yeah. yeah. I feel like I've probably written about Portugal all I'm going to write about now in, in sardines and because like that's it I've moved I was 11 like what else can I write about even, I can't write about my summers there you know it doesn't make any sense I think in sardines you write about it in quite like a abstract way because it's a child's voice yeah it, it, yeah absolutely removed, yeah. well well it's me it's me on reflection like yeah. sardines is like right the last 20 years of my life it's not just about Portugal it's about yeah. like that kind of migrating journey and everything um, yeah, but I can't see. I couldn't see myself writing about much more about that no. that part now. Even though you visit, because you do visit. I do visit. I mean, I've not been since COVID. Like I'm, um, damn Brexit. I can't get a passport. Uh, <laughs> I am legal. I swear. Uh, <laughs> I just can't get an appointment at the consulate. No, no, I'm legal. I've got settled status. <laughs> Home office. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, like you say, like I, I I understand England better, especially the north of England and stuff. Like I've I've a poem or two about my time in Ireland, is even. But again, that's such a small like it's one year and a year and a half. You know, I loved it, but it but it was weird at the same time. I found a, I found a massive culture shock going there. But I th- I think it's maybe where I was. Like you were in Dublin, it's a city, yeah. a lot like Manchester in certain ways. I was in Kildare, yeah. in the middle of yeah. fucking nowhere. Yeah. There was like what it was. It was Emmerdale, but for smaller. Yeah. <laughs> there was one bus that came by an hour that went into Dublin. Where in Kildare were you? Um, Clane, oh, right. just outside yeah. uh, Nice. Yeah, that is small. It's it's. it's yeah. I loved it at first, but the small town mentality. Like I love the people I met there, and I have really fond memories. But. It's and like anyway, I think we spoke about this in our last episode with Abby, um, Abby Parcel, but small towns, it's weird, it's it a weird. strange thing. And I've, I mean, I'm, I'm in a, a kind of an odd situation where I grew up in the countryside nominally, but like it was County Dublin. Right. Um, oh, so you weren't in, in like Dublin. But you could be centre, in the city centre in 20 minutes on the train. Ah, you know, right, like, right. Well, 20 minutes on the train, we never 
I don't. We never got the train when I was a kid, which is a bit odd because it's how I. Always, my mum still lives about a mile from where you know right. we lived then, and I always get the train into town. Um, but the bus, you know, it's a different bus route, but there was always a bus route into town, so you're like an hour from the city centre. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was very. It was very, the house and the surroundings were very rural, but actually we were right there by the city. And by the time I was a teenager, like, you know, all my weekends, it wouldn't have really mattered, you know, like that I lived on a farm because like I would spend all my weekends in town, going to cinema, going to McDonald's. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wandering around like the Temple Bar where all the goth kids hang out and like, you know, spending my pocket money in the army bargain store on combat trousers. Yeah, 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 yeah. like you know look, buying secondhand levi's you know yeah. in, in one of the vintage shops um so like you know i've always since i've been old enough to you know actually go into town yeah. on my own yeah i've always been you know pretty much in the city so like and then you know i, I lived at home during university we didn't have fees but we also didn't have student loan system and my parents the rent in dublin is equivalent to rent in london it's 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 horrendous it always has been it's it's worse now but it was bad then 1200 quid when i was there yeah i, I mean, mean it's, it's just, and that was in kildare like yeah. i can't even imagine dublin it's, it's just crazy so, yeah so obviously so i stayed at home for university and just got the train in and out um, because my parents <laughs> weren't made of money and a lot of people from dublin did and the the culture of people moving out to uni really only applied to people who had moved from somewhere in the countryside to go to Dublin or Limerick or somewhere to university most of my mates who were from Dublin lived at home with their parents you rarely met someone who was from Dublin but lived in a flat because like they would have to be loaded um so then and then I did move out um the year I did the film MA which you know contributed to me being really broke um so so I was like living in this really 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 tiny flat with my boyfriend in the city center like it was so small it was like um there was a kitchen out off the sitting room and all the food had to be in the sitting room because there was no room in the kitchen and the couch was basically patio furniture (laughs) you had to stand on the bed to get to the wardrobe like it was it was really 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 tiny um and it was it was quite cool though i walked it was it was on angel street near where i did the course um and i walked past there the first time i went back to dublin after covid and um i left the kids with my mum and i went into town had a bit of a mooch around and the shops have all changed so on that street so i could see the flat but all the places have, have changed around but when i lived there we lived on the i think we were the third floor flat and on the ground floor there was a martial arts store and then next door there was like a sex shop called (laughs) shauna's and um and that next door on the other side was a nightclub, like a pub and nightclub called the Capital, which we call the Crapital, which is <laughs> awful. And you could just hear this booming noise into the flat. That's why this flat was affordable. Like it was, it was like sleeping in a club. Yeah. After a week, you got used to it and you just tune it out. But no one could ever stay over in our flat because they couldn't sleep. And then, um, and then on the other side of Shauna's, there was like a run of shops. There was like Harry Krishna Cafe, which was amazing. It was really cheap veggie food. Then there was a bridal wear shop and then there was uh, like a shop that sold old man things like flat caps and sticks and so on. And I remember my sister came one day and she was like, you know, it's sort of like life, isn't it? You know, there's, wow. there's the sex shop, there's the restaurant, there's the wedding shop and then there's the old man shop. <laughs> it's like, that's all, you know, that's all you need. All of life is there, as, as Jill often says about Bolton. But um, yeah, so... Um, 
I, but but I've always lived in the city since I was you know quite young, and so I think the culture shock is different. Then yeah. I have to say one of the things that struck me as I as I when I moved to Birmingham was I'd never really encountered anti-Irish sentiments until I moved to the UK. Um, which sounds naive in a way, but like it was quite a shock. Um, I suppose when I'd gone, say for instance, on holidays to America, everyone loves you. you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd never, I'd never really come across that. Um, and I was on a train once from Birmingham to London, and I sat down next to this. No, I, I, I was sat down, and this woman sat down next to me. So I was in my mid twenties, and this woman sat down. She was older, and she dropped her bag and her bag, her stuff fell out everywhere. And I, I said, oh, let me help you. And I kind of bent down to help her pick up her stuff. And she looked at me and she goes, I've already had to speak to an Irish person today. And stormed off. <laughs> I was, wow. was gobsmacked. Um, you know, it's not like you encounter a lot of stuff like that. No, it's it funny is, that, but I, I encountered that in Ireland to English. Like, my partner at the time, she wouldn't move here. She's like, I'm not, I'm at college and uni and I'm not getting taught by English people and all this. I was like, right, okay. I, at the time, I hadn't. I really didn't know much about the history. That sort of it. makes more sense from an Irish point yeah, of view. Yeah, of course. No, I get it. I get yeah, it. Yeah, like yeah. England went over there and did some bad things. Like I absolutely get that, hundred percent. But like I really got that. Like pe- when I first moved over, people weren't very like. No. And then I started going, oh, I'm actually Portuguese, and and then and then I was. Accepted. And you were all right. Yeah, I was accepted. <laughs> but at first, people were very like. Because obviously, still such such a small town, and everyone knows. Oh, it's a chef from England, and yeah. and like, yeah, no, I'm actually Portuguese, you know, like. <laughs> And then, yeah, eventually, eventually they accepted me. But, yeah, it's, it's funny. But, I mean, for, for such a long time, there was, like, the, the, the signs, weren't there? Like, no blacks, no, no, no Irish. And, it, you know, you can completely understand yeah. that. But I never expected to encounter it in real life, I guess. No, yeah. And, then, and it's yeah. so crazy because, like, the, the theoretical idea behind prejudice is difference, isn't it? We don't like difference. But, like, to look at you... You, but you then look, I speak and I have but, exactly, but that, like, what <laughs> the fuck? That. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Oh, like, my like, sister like, thinks I sound very English. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my, my kids, kids say I don't sound enough Irish. So, um, yeah. Um, well, it's interesting, though, because I think also the, the kind of history between two countries is taught very explicitly in Ireland but it's not in England yeah. so like um, there's been occasions where I've been teaching something like a, some work of literature in, in work in university mm. and like a poem by Michael Longley or something and then um, and then I'll kind of give a brief context and then just so you see a blank faces so then you have to kind of go in and yeah. actually explain the, the kind of the backdrop and, um, and people are often quite shocked um, whereas in Ireland you're brought up on it um, yeah so I read somewhere once that, that um I can't remember where, but I did read somewhere once that each country teaches you history as though, like, they're the good guys. Yeah. 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 And obviously, you know, in Ireland, they'll teach you everything that England went over there and did the famine and all these things, yeah. all these horrible things. England's not going to tell you, oh, we went up to, to Ireland and we only fed them potatoes and we took all their money and we, did a we raped here, the we women. Did a and, yeah, they're not going to tell you those things, are they? So, like, people, like, in Portugal, we don't get taught that Portugal were, like, the second biggest player in the empire. Like, we don't get taught that. No. I didn't know that until I started until COVID and I started reading all these books on Black Lives Matter and stuff yeah, like yeah. Akala I think taught me that um, you know and they were they were like the biggest the second biggest after England and I England yeah you don't get taught that I, I learned recently that Brazil the biggest population of black people outside of Nigeria because of the empire because of slavery and it's just it's crazy but yeah yeah the countries don't teach you that they're, they're bad doing the no, wrong they really do they? it's ridiculous uh, right, we're pushed for time, so I just want to touch on a couple more things because uh, obviously you were awarded uh, at Council England 
grant to do your novel and you and Ben lead um, workshops, not workshops, lectures in that at the uni so I wanted to talk a little bit about that for yeah Alison. so well I guess I've had I've had two Arts Council grants one from the Irish Arts Council oh, right, where they used to accept applicants from Irish people living abroad which they don't anymore which is fair enough right? <laughs> um, and that actually was another thing that helped me finance the PhD so I mean I don't think I could pay for the fees through it but it helped me actually was that like a development developing in your own practice grant um, yeah, so it was, and, and it was an equivalent one for Ireland. So that was to do my short story collection, and then the, um, and then the, the English Arts Council, Arts Council England one was developing your creative practice, and that was to um, work on a novel. And I got that, um, I'd say, about two months before I got the job in Bolton, which was quite funny because then I was like, I suddenly have no time. I went from having no time and no money to having time and money to having. Money, money and absolutely time. no time <laughs> yes it was a you know kind of no buses and then three buses kind of situation um uh yeah so that was so that was really good and it's a great scheme developing your creative practice because um a lot of arts council grants are based on community activity and engagement which is really good um but the onus on this one is about your development as a practitioner so um so you you, you know you kind of apply for it and then you write your project and you go away and then you write a report on what the experience was like and so on so I had it to buy time to write which was very hard then to implement so basically it took me a lot longer to to do it than I told them it would but you, you just you know you just get in touch with them and you're upfront about it and they're fine they're very lovely people and um and I also paid for a manuscript appraisal by an editor, so that was that was quite helpful. Um, and that novel did get me an agent, um, which was great, but it didn't sell, um, so that was annoying. <laughs> but again, nothing's wasted. You know, it's all it's all skills cruel. I've written another novel since then, and that's currently on submission to publishers. So yeah. So how do you find the whole like? Um did you did you apply a few times and get declined or did you will you look in that sense with the irish one i applied twice before i got it so i was rejected twice and got it the third time with and that time you couldn't apply for the same project twice so i was constantly making up projects um and then luckily i got one for the phd one um the Arts Council England won. Um, no, I was really lucky. I got it like first time around. With developing your creative practice, you can't kind of revise and resubmit the way you can with a project grant, um, the lottery grant scheme um, with the Arts Council. So developing your creative practice is is a more kind of like um, do it and then you know go away and you have to apply for another thing if you want to apply again. Um, so I was just really lucky. It was also the first round that, um, that they did it for so i think it's probably been more and more and more oversubscribed since which isn't a downplay like the quality of my own submission but like i think it, it probably you know is a bit harder now um uh and you know because i'd applied for the irish one several times i had spent many years honing job applications and so on i'm quite good at writing that sort of document yeah. so um it's you know it, it's it's a skill it's like any other type of writing you know kind of applications bid writing grant stuff it's just another form of knowing knowing the language to ask for things in because they, they do want a really specific thing yeah, don't they yeah, did they you do, yeah. think did you have a really specific idea drilled in by the time that you were said yeah it off? you had to really so you had to the the criteria they have is that you have to 
um, demonstrate that this project represents a step up in your practice. So, for instance, if I had published a short story collection and then wanted to write another short story collection, they wouldn't fund that because they'd be like, well, you, you're all right. You know, you don't need time to kind of like grow and develop. I mean, you might, but not in that same substantial way. Um Whereas I was going from, I've been writing short stories for years, I've had success writing short stories, um, I've had like publications, I've had awards, and now I want to work on a novel. Um, and also because of my track record in this other form, um, I've kind of got like a network of contacts I can build upon and I think this will really help me and it's the right time in my career now for this money. Um, so the timing was right. Um, I did have a project like planned out so I had a specific project it came at the right time and they also want to see that you're a bit of a banker that you know you're somebody who like isn't just a, a crazy chancer so they had a, at the time you had to have a track record of three years working as a creative practitioner not necessarily making money from it but you know doing it um outside of an educational context which i had but you know it, it's it's is to stop Would every second like the bbc editing job no, count as that no, no. That wouldn't count. it was no. more like i had short stories published right so specific over, to over your field that you were applying for yeah exactly yeah. um although actually in fairness i suppose you know they are looking for people to kind of make a change so i guess if you're if your field was like i don't know like um dance and then you wanted to move into poetry you would use your dance background but i think i think i don't think i would have used my kind of bbc work i, I just it, yeah it feels a bit too corporate yeah it didn't occur to me anyway because i suppose i'd psychologically really put a wall between that and you know um so yeah so I had the project and the timing was right and I had enough of a portfolio that I didn't seem like a random weirdo who wanted money to go and spend it on you know coke and hookers so um so it kind of it, it worked and, and I was very lucky and then obviously I got the John Bolton which was also very lucky and um so yeah things 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 kind of came together at that point um but i think it's it kind of says a lot about the state of working in the arts historically and in the present day i was like 38 before i had what i would call a livable income you know like it, it isn't it isn't Oof, that makes me feel better <laughs> <laughs> i'm always like oh my god how much longer uh no we talk about it is on the pod all the time about how many why i'm asking all these yeah. proper specific questions no, but, but I, I, think I think it's a fascinating process yeah and, and there isn't a lot of prop proper yeah there, and there isn't a lot of proper specific answers out there so like for the arts council grants for that developing your creative practice i got eight grand i think or nine grand something like that um and um for the irish one i can't remember what it was i think it was five thousand euros like there was just a, a kind of a it was, it was more of a fixed sort of a thing with them i think if you have however much money they wanted <laughs> whereas this the you know the arts council thing and one was very budgeted um you know and i had planned that out on this is how many days of how many half days of childcare this can buy me for you know like um, to realistically get a draft of this project done and obviously it didn't pan out like that because then I was working around a job but um, yeah it's very hard to make a living which is why I kind of really encourage my students to think of other ways they can make their writing work for them in different ways yeah, yeah. we talk about it all the time like we've we both got full-time jobs we do the podcast we both run our own separate poetry nights yeah. we also do we've started a cic yeah. we've, you know like it's well the amount i mean think you know the number of things that i did over the years in a similar way I never yeah. set up a company but like you know um 
you know working at this when i was when i was you know kind of doing tv and film stuff you know like random gigs with tiny production companies um you're just building up your cv incrementally and hoping that you'll get a break and you generally do it just is time consuming and then i god i did loads of open mic nights when i moved to manchester you know i was like um like submitting stories to every tom dick and harry you know just to just to kind of um get get you know you want to get your name out there you want to build up your confidence you also want to create a bit of a community yeah and feel like less of a of a massive imposter yeah um and and i think that can be quite difficult and also when um, you know i moved to manchester to do the ma i didn't know anybody in the town most people who i did the course with uh, moved away at the end of the year so um and we stayed because it seemed like quite a cool city um and there was no particular reason to, you know, to, to go anywhere else at the time. Um, so why not stay? But it also meant I didn't know anybody. So doing things like getting involved in the literary scene in Manchester was a way to meet people. So, you know, but you're doing three million things in the hope that something will pay off. Um, and these days, because I have a job, um, I can afford to spend two years writing a novel without um, feeling like I have to flail around going for every single um, publication opportunity that crops up yeah. and I can concentrate on the thing. But again, it took, you know, it took 38 years to land that job. Yeah, it's a lesson learned, isn't that it? That makes it sound like I was looking yeah. for a job in the, in the cradle. But, you know, it's it took, it took yeah. a long time. It took, yeah. you know, kind of over 15 years from graduating university initially to, you know, getting a job. It's a graft and it's, it's, but, but we love it, don't we? Mm, most, <laughs> um, most days, <laughs> most yeah, days. yeah, yeah. Um, so leaning towards the end, obviously with the Redraft podcast, you are an editor, right? For the, you're a senior editor now at Forge. Yeah, yeah, at the Forge. Forge, the Forge, yeah. And you do stuff for the Book Munch as well. I do, yeah. I saw our reviews for Book Munch. Oh, you Munch. review books there? Yeah. Cool. Is that, are they... Is that like freelance paid work or you do volunteer your time there? I volunteer my time. Uh, so both of those? Both of those. Wow, okay. So um, Book Munch, I've been writing reviews for since 2009. My friend Pete is the main editor. And, um, and you know, I like reading. I get free books. Yeah. It, yeah. I, I, I was writing, a, I, I was yeah. typing up stuff to talk about today last night and I was like, bibliophile. Because I was like, it's amazing to me how many books you go through. <laughs> like you, you document them all on Instagram and, and sometimes I, I'm like... I read, wow. very, I read very fast. You read very, I read, I read very, very fast. fast. What What is the quickest time you've read one full-length novel, like oh, 120 pages, 200 pages? A day? A short novel, like 120 pages, I'd read in, in a day, in an evening. Maybe, yeah, but like, crazy. But I mean, it depends on the book. Like, some books are short but dense. Like, I'm reading a book at the moment... Um, and I mean, I, I was going to say, this is taking me longer. It will have taken me about four days, probably, by the time yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It's by a uh, Mexican writer called Fernanda Melchor, or Melchor, I'm not sure how you pronounce okay. her last name. And, and that's really densely written. You yeah. know? So, like, you can't just, you know, I mean, I, you know, you could read the entire novel by Sally Rooney. In the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 time, yeah. Even if the novel was twice the length. Yeah. Um, I do read fast. I don't watch a lot of telly. Um, yeah. You know, like, I um, have <laughs> limited hobbies, I suppose. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't go out much. Um, this makes me sound like a kind of a... I am a parent of... Yeah, a parent two of children, two children, so yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I love reading. It's amazing you get the concentration time, really, mm. with young kids I mean, around. And, uh, but... You know, when I have a commute and stuff. So yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I, I read fast. I do read fast. I I mean, you know, reading is the, the kind of first love. You know, I'd, yeah. I'd, um, I'd be very, very, very distraught if I couldn't read anymore. It would be dreadful. Um, 
and and it's and it's you know kind of one of the things I love about teaching is like introducing people to books that I like. So, yeah, well, you know. that ties in with the editing, doesn't it? Because if yeah. you're getting these free copies of things that you can, it, it's research really as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Is it a Kindle thing or is it? What the book? Do you, yeah, oh, no, no, do you no, do I, can, I don't. Do, I have a Kindle somewhere, but yeah. like I don't, I don't like it. Um, I, I, I hate. Yeah, I can't Amazon. read. I, I, cannot, I can't read digitally. I, I cannot stress enough how much I hate Amazon, and yeah. I try to yeah. have nothing to do with them. But. Um, uh, I also don't like reading digitally. Like the occasionally, I'll be I'll be reading something that like a manuscript belonging to a friend or something. I'll read that, but I'll read it on my laptop or my phone. Usually my laptop. Um, I used to send it as a PDF to a Kindle, but I don't know. I mean, I think I think I know the drawer the Kindle is. I'm not sure where the charger is, and everything looks the same on it. And it just it just ir- it's quite an old Kindle now. It just irritates me. Um, but so no, I get physical books. Is the is the elongated ranty answer to that? Um, which is nice. Some of them are proof. Some of them are finished versions. And then The Forge is a literary magazine. So I'm in a writing group called um, The Forge, and which I've been in again since like about 2008. And it's an online writers group. It's like an international group of writers. We've got like people from you know England to Ireland to Singapore and quite a lot in America. And um, you know, and everyone kind of you know we do writing exercises and stuff and um, and share what we've been reading and things like that. And everybody had been subbing to magazines for years and years and years, so I was quite experienced in knowing where to send their work to and getting very frustrated with some of the kind of logistics around that, like um, magazines charging money to it. I don't mind people charging like a couple, like kind of like you know a couple of quid to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's like often the online submissions portal that that charges right. Yeah. So magazines want to cover that. Um, they're always, almost always, anyway, staffed by volunteers. So, like, the website needs paying for, and and you know, stuff like that. If yeah. it's a print magazine, that needs paying for. So, don't mind a nominal, a nominal fee. But you get a lot of places that charge a lot more than a nominal fee. Oh yeah. And and also, you know, I've sent stories to magazines, and it's taken two years, two and a half years for a form rejection, and and Crazy. we <laughs> and we thought you know fuck it we can we can do better than that you know we're we know what we're doing um so i think there was 12 of us or so in the first instance just yeah we we just we set up an is it just magazine. a digital zine or is it's it just digital yeah. yeah um and it's like forge lit mag and i think it's like forge lit com, and um yeah we publish one short story or creative non-fiction piece um we don't do poetry because we don't have the expertise really um but yeah fiction or non-fiction one piece a week most of the year uh, we run a competition um in the autumn um and we pay the writers to get something it's in american because it's in american that doesn't make sense <laughs> it's in american dollars yeah um because that's that happens to be where the you know the kind of the the sort of editor-in-chief uh, john lives and he has the money so um or well controls he controls the money john you control the money <laughs> john and yosh control the money um so um Yes, we pay the writers something like $75 per piece accepted. That's and incredible. Then, and then have a, a competition with cash prizes once a year. And we try and get back to writers within a few weeks. And that's just, and it's quite, there'll be the occasional thing that takes longer. Yeah. And that, most, like, mostly it's, it's much faster. It's, it's week the two. basics. It's the really, basics. It's what should be the basics. It's what should be the basics. And I don't really understand why... Uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of like it, it. It mounts up and it's a thing to do, but it's it's a bit like anything. You just do a little bit every few days, and it and you just clear the decks. We don't get the levels of submissions that many famous magazines do, yeah. in fairness, but we do get hundreds. And you don't have imagine. staffing yeah. either that we these magazines have or should have. Yeah. You know, if if you can't 
deal with it, then don't, then don't, don't do, do yeah, it. Yeah, it's, this is the thing. So we've got, and you know, and we and we try, we give. You don't usually get feedback when you submit to magazines, and we we do sometimes. We don't always. If we feel like there's something nice and constructive, we can say we will say it. If we can't think of anything nice, we we will just send a generic reply. Yeah, form. Um, <laughs> and sometimes we're just too busy to you know. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, people do get do get nice notes from us sometimes. But the idea is like there's. Uh, We've taken on readers, so we've got like ten or eleven editors or twelve, something like that, something around that, and then a bunch of additional readers that are often um, MFA students from the university near where John and Yosh live okay, in cool. uh, the Bay Area in California. Yeah, and um, they, but a story will always be read by at least one official editor. Mm-hmm. So like. Yeah, so like a story will always be read by um, one of the senior members yeah. of the team. So they'll often be given a first pass by these readers who are starting out on their on their journey. Um, but then one of us will always read That's it too. Cool. And if one of us isn't sure, we'll pass it on to another one. So if there's any ambiguity about whether a piece, you know, if I like, if I don't like a piece, but I think it's technically good, yeah, I'll just I'll just put a label on it to say someone else needs to read this. So we try and give every piece a fair shot, and it works really well. That's yeah, that's it's, really fair because it's such a subjective thing, and like just because you. Don't don't like it doesn't mean that exactly. your readers won't you know so and, and we'll often send a note back saying like well this is good but it just tails off you know we're yeah. not yeah. going to take it but yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. know so yeah. so you know you just want to be helpful because i find that the literary world is not always very helpful um yeah. and we don't get paid and it's time consuming and every few months we're like ah why are we doing this yeah. yeah but you know it is a good thing and um and we've had some of the pieces we've published has been have been like nominated for you know kind of best of the net prizes or whatever and we had one of the well one piece we published years and years and years ago was um by saba sams who won the um bbc short story prize oh. uh, this last year and this isn't an instance of nepotism but actually taught saba at manchester but um <laughs> we read the stories blind so yeah yeah yeah, and, yeah, I, yeah. And, I, and i didn't actually read that one so yeah. it, i just saw it being accepted and i was like oh that's and you nice. weren't judging the BBC Awards. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, well, we published it yeah, in Boston yeah, yeah, because yeah, she, yeah, was yeah, a, yeah. she was a former kind of, you know, an acquaintance. But, um, and then, but yeah, she's gone to win that. She, she, her, her book, um, a book came out and has been nominated for things, collection called Send Nudes, which is um, really good. Um, yeah, so, you know, up and coming young writer. Um, yeah, so there's like, it's, it's a really rewarding. Um, yeah. Send send us your work. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Not your poems. So, we don't want your poems. <laughs> send us, <laughs> Not send your poems. Send us your fiction. works of prose. <laughs> Brill. Uh, and non and creative nonfiction as mm-hmm. well, which I've I've been getting into recently yeah, since yeah. the live lit with Adam. Yeah, Absolutely yeah. love that book. I'm still not me and Nat are reading in between us, but um yeah, it's a great book. Um okay, so I read in the sixty minute the sixty second interview get to know Val that you're um your advice to upcoming writers is to read and edit, read and edit, read yeah, and edit. Right? Yeah, just keep so we've writing. had a lot of people have come through, a lot of people, we're on our 10th guest, but we've had, <laughs> we've had a substantial amount of people come through um, who don't edit. And, and mainly in poetry, right? Yeah. Will's partner, I always, I always give her a shout out, but Will's partner is an incredible poet, never edits the poems. And this, they're amazing poems. Like They really make you feel and they get to the nitty gritty of the human experience and they're brilliant. Um, I'm a big editor. I mean, uni instilled that into me. I go back and back and back and back and re-edit. I really struggle to to, to have sardines as a finished manuscript. Um, You're obviously an editor. How important is that to you? Oh, like, I mean, 
I couldn't uh, do it on a first try. You know, your your, your partner's obviously got a knack. <laughs> I yeah, fiction I is poetry is a yeah. lot easier to do, right, than fiction. I won't even comment. I'll leave that to. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave no, that I to mean, men. I mean, to, in, terms of in terms of editing, not 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 in terms of writing. No, 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 no. no, no, no. But in terms of editing, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, if no, you've only no, got two, three stanzas, you're like, right, okay, they're done. But you couldn't do that with a with a fifteen thousand word I, I short think, story. I think that comes down to your interpretation of the word editing as well. I think with Michaela in particular, she writes stuff and edits it there and then. Mm. And you know, it's like here's all the words, here's ten minutes of I'm changing this around, I'm changing yeah, that yeah, goes yeah. in stanza one because there's, yeah. there's like well, she does a bit of editing, but on the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah, you can't yeah. do that with a novel. Yeah, you can't do <laughs> that in a novel. And then go back and yeah. no, I mean no, I I edit a lot. I edit a lot as I go. I tell my students get the whole draft down and then edit, and I don't actually do that myself. But um, you edit as you go. I edit as I go. Um, I I think there is a lot to be said for getting the whole draft down though when you're starting out because you need to know that you can finish something. Yeah. Um, the yeah, I edit as I go. I edit a lot. I I needed to work on a sentence level. Um, I. I feel like I, I feel my way into the characters and the plot as I go along. So if I don't get it approximately okay, um, I'm not going to bring it to the place where it needs to be. Um, you know, it, it would the whole thing would just be in the wrong direction. Yeah. So so I have to, that, and so I, I'll get each draft, you know, into a shape that I'm happy with. That's not to say that the next draft won't be completely different or I won't throw those things out. Yeah. You know, but it I, it has to feel. Um, like it works for me on a on a sentence and paragraph level before I can kind of progress onto the next sentence or paragraph or whatever. So I'm a really slow writer, um, and I will write multiple drafts of like of everything. So like each yeah each like chapter of a novel I will have gone over loads and loads of times. But then the novel as a whole I will go over again yeah. and again and again. So like yeah, um, it's slow, it's painstaking, but I enjoy it, you know, because. Um, it's it's easier than the blank page um yeah. and also once you've got something down you have a sense of what you're trying to hone whereas you know on the, the first draft it it could be anything um so but i yeah i enjoy that i i rewrite a lot um in terms of like letting a manuscript go i mean like are you ever happy with it like I, you just get to a point where you just think i'm yeah. neither making it better nor worse i'm just driving myself mad yeah. this is as far as i can go with this and i've and i've also found like working with my agent tom like he'll i'll, I'll get it to a point where at that point i'm out of ideas of what to do with it and i'll send it to him but i'll also send it to some friends some yeah. like you know beta readers and um and then the yeah and then and then i'll have a, a kind of a, a session with them and then i will also have like a session with him and 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 they'll they'll give me ideas and then i'll be able to kind of redraft yeah. it again so like but i you know I'll, I'll get to the point where i'm like i can't think what else i could conceivably do with this there's probably plenty of things that could be done with it but i can't think of yeah them. yeah yeah. I'm done with after it you've read it for so long it's like yeah it's, yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. and it's the same with short stories it just doesn't take so long but um it's uh yeah it's 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 a it's a kind of fiddly process but i'm i'm you know kind of very about good sentences yeah. so you know i need them to work um and um well it's funny actually because like i i don't i think my stuff like, i'm not a poet but i i would if the equivalent would be i'm very much a, a page person yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Just, my stuff does not work in an open mic context it's have you have you gone out there and, and read your stuff for, not, not in ages no. but I ha like, you I have, have, I have you have I done have loads of time yeah 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 and, um and i yeah it, it just tends to be like 
I don't know, like the, the, the humor doesn't quite translate into the spoken word a lot of the, you know, it's, yeah, it's page yeah, yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. or it's just too grim or something. And um, it just, the audiences just don't know what to do with it. Where I think it's much more works on the page. Um, so, yeah, but I do, I do edit endlessly. And then when I have read stuff out loud, I'm editing in my head as I'm going along yeah, because yeah. Um, I'm trying to kind of think what isn't going to land with the audience there and then. That's quite stressful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's how I read edit a lot of my poetry, to be mm. fair, by reading it out loud to myself. Well, it, really but like it's because it, yeah. I want to know that it's going to land when I speak it out loud. Which well, is this a is weird... it's a bit different. So, like, I, I will read stuff out loud to myself, but it's 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 still for the page. Yeah. Whereas then the same thing read to an audience, I think that that does work on the page. But yeah. It's not going to work to you down there with a pint not, or whatever. That's not the format yeah, that's that you're not, aiming for yeah, that's yeah, like exactly. a promotion strategy yeah really, yeah totally than, yeah. absolutely yeah yeah yeah. it's not the prime reading delivery mode kind of thing yeah i've actually gone back i'm i'm, ed I'm re-editing the uh the first chapter of the novel i wrote for you oh, but into like a short it. story though yeah yeah well, i don't fine. think it's a novel in there but it's a short story but i'm really enjoying it and you know what it's, it's editing's a funny thing for ages i was really upset that uh i had this first line and i thought it's a sick line something about it's in one of my poems now but it's it's funny how it all works i kept telling you to cut it out you kept telling me to cut it out and it's so good but it's really poetic and it it just didn't fit in there and i and i went back when i started re-editing recently i went back and i had i have all the drafts still the the one that had it on and the and the end one and stuff and looking back side to side it's like yeah that was not good <laughs> but it's a great it's the great opening of one one of my poems like i don't you probably not haven't heard it i don't, I don't perform that one out loud um it's not in sardines now. It's something like this: this town is uh, is haunted by stained glass gods and slithering and, and slithering no, and crawling with slithering saints. Something it's like that. But it's it's yeah. It's and it's the opening lines of a poem. It works really really well in that poem. But it yeah, in the story it didn't. It's 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 funny how it works. Isn't it was it? a good chapter though. You know, yeah, I, I'm still. I read it the other day, and I was like, "Oh, yeah. I can, I can, I can write fiction." Can, <laughs> for can. It, since I left uni, I'm just like, I'm just a yeah. poet. And I can't write anything else. I can only write poetry. But that time will have given you fresh perspective. Yeah, you'll be, exactly. You'll be surprised, probably, the quality yeah. of, of what was there. Yeah, yeah, I was. I was actually pleasantly surprised. It's not much. It is like just a chapter, but uh, it's going to be a longer short story. But yeah, it's cool. Mm -hmm. Might read it one day. Having that resolution. Yeah, though, yeah, so yeah. Rather than leaving it on a. Yeah, yeah. I feel like right, I've wrote the chapbook, it's out there, I've, I've performed, I'm getting sick of performing yeah. from it because, you know, you just read, it's like the thing of going reading your work over and over and over and over again. Um, and now I'm just like, I need something else. I need a, a, some theatre or I need fiction or I need something because I already had the bones of that. I've gone with that. Um, right, cool. So we are approaching an hour and a half. Wow, yeah. uh, amazing. Well, Time flies when you're having fun. Um, yeah, so I'm going to head over to hand over to Will, and oh, he's going to ask yeah. you the big question on the Redraft podcast. That's exciting. This, I don't know how well this is going to work as a microphone, <laughs> passing an iPhone back and forth. So the Redraft podcast, we love a metaphor. We want to ask you what moment in your career, if you could go back and have a, a redraft at it, so to speak, rewrite it, do it a different way, would it be? And the last person we had, Joy, just said. She wouldn't change anything, so you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you can't have to, to, in a row. to have that degree of uh, confidence and assurance, it would be something else, wouldn't it? Um, I, I'm happy with how my career has been progressing in the past few years, but I think I wish I would have had the confidence to go for it younger. 
um you know as an un- yeah yeah you know um as an undergraduate probably ignored those um you know posh boys in the literary society and mm. just you know cracked on with my thing i think i wasn't i didn't feel like i was kind of uh, surrounded by people who would have understood and I think that was actually not true I think I think they probably would have but I didn't have that confidence yeah. um, and you blaming other people rather than actually accepting that yeah, I need you know, to and, and actually like one of my good friends Muni like writes as well so like I, I think it was just a lack of confidence um, and I wish I kind of you know would have had that um, I probably uh, should have left that BBC job earlier. <laughs> but then again, you know, you can't really knock a redundancy payout. So that was so that was good. Um, I think mainly just having the confidence to just get on with it at an earlier age would have mm. been good. Though that said, I mean, you know, I don't know how I would have um, engineered that situation. Would the journey still have been the same? Yeah, exactly. I don't think I've made, you know, decisions that I particularly, uh, you know, regret since I've kind of had the, the momentum going. Um, but if I could have got that momentum going 10 years prior, you know, that would have been nice. Yeah. I think that's that's that a perfect up, answer. Yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah. The idea of momentum is is something really important, definitely. And that's where I think maybe we are now. Is just okay yeah, and breathe yeah, and yeah, keep yeah, going. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> thank yeah. you, guys. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you so you. much. What a good chat. Yeah, Amazing. loved having you on. Thank you. Bye. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was Valerie O'Riordan. What an amazing chat. I love that. It was the first time I'd probably spent some time with uh, Val and get to get to do it in person was excellent. She was really gracious with her time, really inspiring and thoughtful about the way that she sort of articulated her feelings on growing up Irish, feeling uh, the way that changes um, when you emigrate and move. And those ideas of, I think she took us through her, her career really in a beautiful way. I, f- I felt very inspired after that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. As I said before, Val Val inspires me massively, and uh, that chat was was really lovely. We got to hear about lots of different things, and really about the struggle and the success of what it means to be a writer, which is a wonderful thing. And I think that's what we all gather here on a Monday for, isn't it? Yeah, we hit the nail on the head with that one, I think. <laughs> absolutely. Amazing. So, uh, reminders. First of all we can remind you um, that our next Doors Open workshop has officially been announced. It has indeed. Exciting times. So, um, Saturday the 29th of July, we are going to be in the Bolton um, Library um, in the basement, um, the lecture hall. In the theatre hall, absolutely. The theatre hall, even the theatre hall, the theatre hall. <laughs> and I'm going to be delivering a talk and a workshop all about um, confidence and uh, what you can do to enhance what you already have and make getting up on that stage a little bit easier or pitching to um, prospective clients, making that something that you can find more accessible to yourself. Really, really excited about that. It's going to be at uh, the mid-afternoon, so at half past two. Um, so plenty of time for you to come and then enjoy your evening as well otherwise we have got um switchblade and nata coming up yes we've also got nata for this month of june on the 27th down at three guys as always a lovely fresh 
uh, lineup for you and as always lovely hot coffee and lovely mm -hmm. portuguese matters for you as well tickets are live hopefully at this point if they're not they're going to be live tomorrow so check our bio and get your free tickets again as always always free always fun come and join us absolutely and the next version of switchblade will be on as always the third sunday of the month so come july that is the 16th and we have an absolutely belting headliner for you who we will announce in due course so keep your eyes peeled for more switchblade info it's actually and i'll give you a bit of a hint there it's a double header this month we've got two headliners working oh i'm excited for this yeah. one yeah 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 lovely very excited get it in your diary guys get it in your diary so we will love you and we will leave you folks Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time bye bye, bye. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of the Redraft Podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to this chat, you can help support us over on Patreon. We have three tiers of Patreon support available from three to eight pounds per month. Tier one is the Big Biro tier in that you receive a shout out in the episode after you join, access to all of our planning documents and you can join an exclusive Instagram group chat with other writers to share notes, tips, feedback and more. In tier two, the Fountain Pen tier, you get all of that plus pre-sale to any upcoming live events that we've got going on and you get to interact with our guests directly by emailing in questions in advance and in tier three you get the typewriter tier includes all the previous benefits plus a free art print from printer poet commission your own poem from us once a year and you also get feedback on a single piece of writing and that's once a month and of course you can also support us for free by following subscribing and dropping us a five star review on the podcasting platform of your choice and we are really grateful for any level of support that you can offer we know it's a tough old world out there for everyone at the minute so thank you very much and if you can't support us in that way you can always just share us with your friends tell the world about us put us on your stories and give us five stars we'll be back every monday with a brand new episode of the redraft podcast for your listening pleasure <laughs>